Hello and welcome to this podcast brought to you by the Climate Bonds Initiative. This podcast is part of the Roadmap to a Green Energy Transition, a project developed by the Climate Bonds Initiative to highlight the potential climate impact and financial opportunities from investments in renewable energy, grids and storage to support policymakers in adopting energy policies that support a credible transition. Joining me today is Global Energy Transition Lead at Climate Bonds, Dr. Anna Diaz. We're going to talk about how greenhouse gas has been detrimental to the climate crisis, how we're progressing with decarbonisation and the biggest challenges of energy transition in this sector. Okay, joining me now, a very warm welcome to Anna Diaz. Uh, Thanks so much for joining. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. What about yourself? I'm good. Yeah, I'm not too bad. It's quite, uh, it's quite like mild weather up by us, um, which normally I would, I would complain about. But I'm, I'm very conscious. There's lots of parts of Europe that are struggling a little bit with the heat at the moment. So I'm trying to be, uh, be an optimist. Um, but yeah, look, thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I'm I've been really looking forward yeah. to this one. Um, we are sitting down to discuss uh, a roadmap to a green energy transition. And uh, I'm in really good company with you. Uh, you are the global energy transition lead at Climate Bond. So, uh, you know, I feel like I've got the, the best person in to, to chat to. Um, Thank you. <laughs> my, very much my pleasure. Just to um, just to kick things off, I mean, this is going to be a topic that lots of people to some degree have knowledge and awareness of, um, but there'll be a huge sort of gap between you know the, between the experts and the people who know a little bit about this topic so if you can just kind of bring everybody up to speed if possible i mean how do greenhouse gas emissions from the energy sector contribute to global warming well this is this is a very good question so let me first share with you what are the current global average concentration of co2 in the atmosphere it has reached a record high of 424 parts per million in May 2023. That might not say much to you, but if I tell you that this is an increase of 50% since the start of the Industrial Revolution up from 2080 parts per million. Wow. I say 424 parts per million. Now it's 200. It was 280 parts per million during the 10,000 years prior to the start of the Industrial Revolution. So that's where we are right now. The greenhouse gases have contributed to global warming by trapping heat in the Earth's atmosphere. These gases, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, act like a blanket around the planet, preventing heat from escaping into space and causing the Earth temperature to rise. But this is good. I mean, the, the greenhouse effects is doing good to the Earth. It provides the condition for life to be on Earth. So today the Earth temperature average, I don't know if you know about that, is about 15 degrees Celsius. Mm. But if we didn't have greenhouse effect, do you know how much will be? No. It will be minus 18 degrees Celsius. Oh, wow. Okay. we We need the greenhouse effect, but what we are doing right now is increasing the greenhouse gases into atmosphere. So we are increasing the concentration of the greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So that is changing the heat trap into the atmosphere. So that's why we have this increase in the heat into the earth. So 
But let me answer your question now after this brief introduction. Today, the energy sector is the largest contributor to the global greenhouse gas emissions, primarily from burning fossil fuels such as coal, oil and gas. And according to the International Energy Agency, the energy sector accounts for the largest share of global greenhouse gas emissions in 2022 at around 75%. Okay. And I mean, well, first of all, thank you for for the overview i think you know we're all on a bit of a bit of a crash course here but uh, we do understand that we need to transition the energy sector if we want to keep mm-hmm. warming to this this 1.5 degrees celsius which again a lot of people will have have heard that number uh, there's lots of predictions around maybe when that barrier might be broken and, and frankly at the moment they're all a little bit kind of pessimistic so can you just talk to me about the the current kind of lay of the land you know where are we now are we on the path to kind of decarbonize our energy sector in in the time frame we we have available well if i had to give you a short answer i will say no okay but the answer is not clear-cut so while there has been progress in decarbonizing the energy system the main question remains the dynamic of the transition. So today the transition is not happening at the rate and scale required to meet the target set by the Paris Agreement. So we need more ambition policies, more investment to accelerate the transition to a low carbon energy system. The decarbonization of the energy system is a complex, is a very complex and ongoing process that presents several challenges. For the first time in the history of mankind, we have to do without an energy source that has not yet been exhausted. And this means a change in the production system, but also in the way we consume energy. The fossil fuels remaining need to remain under the earth. We are not allowed to burn it in order to keep with the Paris Agreement. So this means there are infrastructure challenges, such as the need to upgrade the existing power grid to accommodate renewable energy sources, but also there are political and social challenges, such as the resistance from fossil fuel industries and communities that rely on their, from, of them from the employment. Despite these challenges, many countries and organizations are making progress toward decarbonizing their energy system. No matter what, what is clear is that renewable energy will play a cru- crucial role in decarbonizing the energy system. Renewable energy technologies are becoming increasingly cost, cost competitive, and many countries have set targets for increasing their share of renewable energy in their energy mix. However, the transition to a fully decarbonized energy system will require significant investment and policy support, as I already mentioned, to overcome technical, economic, and social barriers. While progress has been made, it remains to be seen whether we are on track to decarbonize our energy system in the time frame needed to avoid the worst impact of climate change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, there's lots of aspects of that answer I, I want to come back to. I kind of want to, to unpack all of it, really, in, in some shape or form. I just want to really quickly um, come back to something you said there about... Um, a lot of the it's almost like the the problems are kind of man-made and, and and so are the solutions but how how sort of challenging can that be when there's lots of uh, human factors you mentioned like the fossil fuel industry jobs going there lots of resistance um to some of the really good work you're you're sort of trying to do is that uh, how sort of frustrating can that be well it's really frustrating and it's really it's it's not always easy 
And I don't know if you are aware that there was this letter from scientists like a couple of years ago when they claim like we need help. We are working with the news that we know and we are sharing part of it with the world, but we are not sharing everything. And we know the dimension of the problem. And it's not always difficult when you have child and, and you want to look around and see what can be done and what is not done mm-hmm. and what, what are we put in place yeah we're putting in place a lot no absolutely and and, um again i'm just touching on on some of the things we've already discussed but look you know renewable energy has been widely used for some time and and to be fair the the costs to produce electricity for example from from renewable energy have been reducing year after year we seem to have the technology to decarbonize the the power sector but what are the what are the sort of main challenges of, of energy transitions and, and, and how can these be, be overcome? Well, this is also a very good question. So the trends today, and I'm following here the net zero emission scenario for the IEA, the International Energy Agency, at LOC 2050. So there are three main, for, for the pathway, there are three main things we need to do. Electrification. At the same time, this electrification should be decarbonized, so the electricity should should be low carbon. And also, there is a rate, the rate of deployment, as I already mentioned. So let me give you some numbers here. So to 2020, the amount of electricity consumed was roughly 26 terawatt hour. Let me give you some units, please. I, I want to I abuse. Yes, of course. <laughs> And then for 2050, we need to double that. So I just give you the rough number. Now, the electricity consumption will double in 2050. We will reach 50,000 terawatts. So this is an electrification process that is needed because electricity is going to make low decarbonize the rest of the sector, like transport, electricity will decarbonize transport, will decarbonize a huge part of uh, industrial sector, so it's needed. The electrification is going to increase, but of course, the electricity should be produced low carbon, meaning that in 2020, we have 30% of renewable in the electricity generation share, and it, we should reach in 2050 70% in, of the share of renewables just in the electricity system. How this translates into the capacity that you need, the new capacity that you need to install. So let me give you also some numbers. Very roughly, 2021, we have new capacity of around 2,000 gigawatt. And in 2050, to cover this 70% of renewable in the electricity share, we will need to have 22,000 gigawatt. This is multiplied by 12 factors what I'm telling you from what we have today multiplied by 12 factor. But what happened in 29, we can see that in 29 we have 230 gigabat, new gigabat, which it will lead us to 90 years in order to reach the 70% that I told you before. But we don't have 90 years, we have 30 years. So this going back what I told you before, we need to speed up the renewable capacity implementation. So those are the main challenges, electrification, decarbonization, and the rate of deployment. 
I just want to continue that other challenges are there is a lack of adequate infrastructure. So there is also political and regulatory barriers that I already mentioned and resistance for the stakeholders in the fossil fuel industry. To overcome this challenge, it is important to increase investment in renewable energy technologies, improve infrastructure, create supportive policies and regulations regulations and engage with the stakeholder and address their concerns. But coming back to the renewable cost, if we take the renewable change in technology cost trends into account, we can forecast that the cost of a low carbon system that we're expecting to see in 2050, we can see that the green energy transition is much less painful than it was imagined. And it is something that we should do and we should do it quickly. Even if there were not climate change, threats because it is safe, it will save us money. No, absolutely, absolutely, and and um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the the previous uh, rhetoric was around keeping the temperature to you know to one point five degrees globally this century, and then it was you know, quickly, what can we sort of do by twenty fifty? And before you know it, it's there's actually scientists predicting that that threshold is going to be broken even this year. So, yeah, I think when it comes to conversations like this, the, the emphasis is on um, urgency. I I just want to I want to touch on something you mentioned in your answer, but I might be showing my um, my inexperience here. So apologies if this is a little naive of a question. Hey. Um, you know, of course, any resource that's um, sort of mined on mass uh, will take some sort of production effort. I'm I'm really conscious electrification is an objectively uh, better avenue, but are there any sort of concerns uh, for mining things like lithium and anything like that that I'm not sort of not aware of? Well, this is this is this is a very interesting question, and it's not naive at all. So now we are facing also a shortage in material material like rare earth material that we need in order to deploy the renewable the renewable system. So meaning that the renewable consume earth material, uh, batteries consume lithium. So we have also some concerns about if the the material that we have are going to be enough in order to deploy the in the scale that we need the renewables energy technologies. And this is some concern. But for example, in order to attach this, we can discuss how can we design these new technologies in order to be recycled. So I'm not talking about circular economy mm-hmm. because circular economy doesn't exist. It will be an spiral economy. So at least then you can circulate some materials. 100% circulation is impossible, but we can be able to circulate much material than we are doing now. Than now. If I'm not mistaken, we articulate in around 2% of electric car, so we can do it much more and circulate 90% or 95% of the material in order not to be... So we will depend to new mining, new resources, but we can recycle and reduce the one that we have. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That's really, really interesting. Um, I want to I want to sort of take a slightly different avenue. Now, this is a bit of a a banana skin I found when I was putting my, my notes together for this. I mean, so in the past, gas was was known as a, a transition fuel. I've, I've sort of put that in inverted mm-hmm. commas for um, for emitting you know less CO2 than than coal and oil. That was the the rhetoric around that. And it would drive the energy sector from a carbon intense to a low carbon energy sector. So 
Fast forward decades later and and gas continues to be called a, a transition fuel, but it's it's not quite as simple as that, is it? Could you sort of uh, you talk me through that a little bit? <laughs> yes, sure. Um, it's, you're right. We have been hearing that for the last two decades, but because in the because of the climate emergency, then we found ourselves gas cannot be considered a transition fuel anymore, mainly because it is a fossil fuel. It is a fossil fuel that releases greenhouse gas when burned, contributing to climate change. That will be the short answer. While it may be less polluting than coal or oil, it still releases significant significant amount of methane, a potent greenhouse a very potent greenhouse gas during extraction and transportation, and it is no sustainable solution for the long term. Also, as we have seen in the news lately, the leaks of gas are the, the leak of gas are bigger than expected. Gas le- leaks can make gas power plant more em- emissive than coal power plants when the leaks occur during the extraction, transportation, and processing of natural gas. On the top of that, methane, which is the primary component for natural gas, is a potent greenhouse gas that has much higher global warming in a short term than carbon dioxide. When methane leaks from the natural gas supply chain, it can contribute significantly to the overall emission of the gas power plant. I don't know if you're aware of the latest news on some researchers in Canada measure methane emission at about 7,000 sites across the country's oil and gas infrastructure. They found that the industry underestimate actual emission by a factor of 1.5. This kind of chronic undercounting calls into question the very idea that natural gas is a cleaner alternative to coal. Gas leakage of more than about 3% makes the fuel worse for the climate than coal, according to the study published by the National Academy of Science. Is that, I mean, that sort of conversation, is that something you you have sort of fairly regularly with people outside of climate bonds? I mean, how do you approach that? Because I know it's it's all very relative and it's not quite as simple as gas equals good or bad, but is, is it a, a tricky conversation, do you, do you find? Not inside Climabon. I think we are pretty much aligned. And also the, the CEO, Sean, is very much aligned with this idea. And he's totally shared this idea of how gas is a tricky concept in order to reach the low carbon system that we are aiming to reach. So I don't think it's, I think in CBI that is a clear it's a clear thing. That's good. That's good. We, that's what we like to hear. Um, whenever I'm I'm having conversations like this around transition, I I, I always kind of look at how. Uh, well, I guess the two sort of avenues I look at it are the what's uh, ambitious, what is um, having a target that's kind of above and beyond. Um, but also what kind of manages expectations? What is a target that we can feasibly hit? So, I mean, in this sort of area, how do we balance ambitious and credible energy transition? Okay, yeah. Well, let me define first what is an ambition and a credible transition. So an ambition transition will refer to a significant shift from the fossil fuel-based economy toward a zero-carbon economy. 
while a credible energy transition entails the realistic and effective policies and strategies to achieve this transition based on a thorough analysis of the energy system today and including its current and future energy demand, existing infrastructure and potential renewable energy sources. So whether a technology is mature and we expect it to be mature in 10, 20 years. So we need to be realistic in that matter. To ensure that the energy transition plans are credible, countries should set realistic targets and develop a clear roadmap for achieving them, including proven technologies. And this is what we do, for example, in CBI, helping countries to do their own taxonomy. This is a good example. So this roadmap should include established effective policies and regulations to support the transition, such as fit in tariff, carbon pricing, renewable energy. So we make sure that the, the policies are in place. Carbon prices, for example, green infrastructure in investment. Are you ready for the new capacity, for the renewable new capacity to be in place? And also, of course, fossil fuel subsidy reform. So we, are, we cannot continue with the subsidy for fossil fuels if we want to take the road to the low carbon emission. So this kind of thing will make a realistic approach. But the ambition is there, is to reach net zero carbon in 2050. Absolutely. I mean, do you find when you're, whether whether it's governments or, or organisations, actually, um, is that the sort of first thing you, you look at? You know, is it the sort of the numbers behind the targets or is the first thing you look at, is there actually a coherent plan coming from your end well, you, you see, you, you, you need to look at that as a whole. Mm. So it's really, you need to look the ambitious, but you need to know what the starting point is. So, and then how are you going to fulfill the transition pathway? So the emission reduction pathway, we design in our criteria emission reduction pathways for each sector. We design, we design emission reduction pathways in our criteria than for every sector, than the, the different asset entities should follow in order to fulfill our criteria. And we design these emission pathways together with a technical working group with art full of academic people, also NOG people, but different development banks and industry. So this is a process where we have third parties in order to validate the criteria that we put on the table. And then we will be the base for the certification of the different bonds and financial tools at the end of the day. That's very interesting. Do you find that sort of helps regulate um, the idea of, of, of what is ambitious enough? I mean, does that sort of, or let me rephrase, does that avoid a situation where what you deem ambitious, uh, but also credible, is also the same as, as the people you're working with? Yeah, you should have both. At this point, we should be ambitious because we want to reach net zero in 2050. I'll tell you one one number like for that to happen, the electricity sector should be reaching net zero around 2040. So this is not much time. We are in 23. So in less than 20 years, we need to lead our power system close to zero in order to have a chance to reach the rest of the system, the energy system to reach net zero in 2050. So we need to be ambitious. There's no other way right now in the point that we are, because until now, and we are in 20. 
2023, the mission have do nothing but increase. So we don't know a world where the emission haven't decreased yet. So emission are increasing. We need to stop that tendency and going down in order to reach our targets. But that's why the ambitions is huge. But also the plan and the scenario should be realistic how to reach this net zero emission. And that's where we came all together as prescribing the criteria, but also policymakers and different regulatory system and organization as well as the development bank in order to support this transition. Yeah, absolutely. And you've actually set me up very nicely there for the final question I have for you today. What kind of measures are needed to future-proof, if you like, the sustainability of our electricity infrastructure? So not just to reduce kind of grid congestion, but also to scale up renewables more rapidly. So we, we need to place the investment whatever they need it and also increasing the future proof for our electricity infrastructure sustainability. We need to invest in a smart grid technologies, energy storage system, because as we know, we cannot substitute coal plant generation with the same generation in the renewable sources because they are not as consistent in terms of availability with the grid. And because the coal power plants provide some services to the grid and the renewable technologies are not able to provide. So that's why we need to also provide the generation one-to-one, but also we need to provide the services as storage and the smart grid, as I say before, and also demand response programs, etc. Everything that makes the grid stabilize for the new green capacity. These measures can help reducing grid congestion and enable the integration of more renewable energy sources into the grid. Well, that's fantastic. What what a what an eye-opening look into this from you. So, um, Ana Diaz, gracias. Thank you so much for your time. Really, Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. Happy to help. The thought-provoking insights of Anna Diaz there. With 20 years of international work experience in applying science and innovation to low-carbon energy transition, I knew this would be an enlightening discussion. But I'm always happy when a guest provides really candid feedback on where we're at and where we're not in the fight against climate catastrophe. In the space of 25 minutes or so, I've come away up to speed with the good news, the not-so-good news, and uh, had a few outdated theories debunked. So I hope if this is a topic you're interested in, even when it can be quite disconcerting, you've at least come away with more knowledge and awareness. And if you want more of the same, we've got plenty of updates for you. If you're an audible learner, check out Climate Bond on Spotify for standalone podcasts, as well as our regular series. We're at Climate Bonds on social media or climatebonds.net for all the rolling news and discussion. Thanks again for listening and take care.